Hello, and welcome to Shank Talks Bonhoeffer, a podcast all about the life, times, and work of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the World War II-era Lutheran pastor, moral philosopher, and Nazi resistor, who would ultimately give his life for his convictions when he was summarily executed at the Flossenburg concentration camp by orders from the highest echelon of the Nazi party, and that after a multi-year and heroic struggle to preserve the moral and spiritual integrity of the church and its witness in Germany. He and his fellows would largely lose that war but would win many battles, including preserving a small remnant of the church against the uh, moral corruption, uh, the spiritual compromise, and the politicization of the church in Germany. And they did that in a number of ways, and of course that put him at great risk. He was jailed, uh, he became part of a conspiracy, to bring down the Hitler government and would ultimately be executed for that uh, at age 39 in April of 1945. But, of course, uh, there was a very large and complicated context to all of Bonhoeffer's work, and that was, of course, the Nazi regime and its most grotesque uh, expression of its utter, uh, utter and complete uh, moral turpitude, and that was the mechanized mass murder of millions of innocent people in what is commonly referred to now as the Holocaust. And there's a very interesting conference held every year in the United States examining this context of the Holocaust from that period. And that is a backdrop to the Bonhoeffer drama that just can't ever be ignored or uh, underrated. It was a huge part of the context. In fact, you could argue that it was the thing that pulled Bonhoeffer across the line on the conspiracy to assassinate Hitler, uh, again, because of the enormous amount of human suffering and death that was occurring. And uh, that factors in. Uh, we don't have time to explore it here. We will in a future podcast. But in any case, the Holocaust is terribly important all of its own. But when you attach it to the story of Bonhoeffer and his fellows in Germany, uh, it gives their struggle uh, more meaning. And that's why I attended the recent 49th Annual Scholars Conference on the Holocaust and the Churches held at the Ackerman Center for Holocaust Studies at the University of Texas at Dallas. That was March 2nd through 4th of 2019. And while there, I had an opportunity to talk to some of the experts on this question of the Holocaust in general, but also specifically of the churches and their role, uh, both in ameliorating some of the suffering uh, that was occurring during the Holocaust and, sadly, 
also their complicity with it. So this is a very big subject matter. And I was able to sit down with four such experts. And I want to share those conversations with you. So the first one is with Dr. Mark Roseman, R-O-S-E-M-A-N, of Indiana University Bloomington, where he is Distinguished Professor and Pat M. Glazer Chair in Jewish Studies. He had presented uh, a talk entitled Diverse Vantage Points, Rescue and Resistance in History and Memory, a Microstudy. And he looked at different angles of how rescue stories are told about the Holocaust and whether, in fact, they are accurate or not, whether there are different ways of looking at uh, moments of rescue when, when lives were literally rescued or not, or maybe myths about rescue or uh, embellished stories about rescue, maybe uh, the actors were heroic, maybe they weren't, maybe they were compromised, partly heroic, partly not. It was a very interesting talk, and you'll hear me uh, reflect on uh, the content of Dr. Roseman's talk uh, at the conference in this conversation. So this is Dr. Mark Roseman of Indiana University, Bloomington. Professor Roseman, you gave a very interesting talk here at the conference about a particular group. I think there's a lot of background that went on during the Holocaust, uh, people who, who, who uh, helped ameliorate uh, the pain, the suffering, some on a small scale, some on a grand scale. How important is it for us to know these smaller, less told stories uh, like the one you presented, which if I may ask you to just kind of recap for a moment, you treated a particular uh, instance, a community that was uh, uh, assisting uh, to reduce uh, some of the pain, some of the suffering that went on during the Holocaust. How important are these smaller stories for us? Yeah, thanks. No, I, th I think um, this is an important area. So the group I was looking at is called the Bund Gemeinschaft für Sozialistisches Leben, the um, League Community for Socialist Life, but all its members just called it the Bund. It was a, uh, a common uh, word for, for group in the, in the 20s and 30s, and that, that's how they all... Uh, referred to it and based in the Ruhr region, uh, so in the sort of industrial area around Essen and Bochum, uh, for people who know where their German map is. Um, but uh, yes, I think, it, I think it is important in a number of different ways. I think on the one hand, clearly these are voices and names and people uh, and groups who deserve to be remembered and commemorated. Um, I think looking at their actions, we can gain an understanding of how human beings are able to respond to the challenges and threats of a dictatorship and nevertheless retain a certain freedom of action. But also by now, We've got so used to a particular way of looking at the rescuer as though it was always an individual 
motivated by some innate psychology that I think by now it's become important, in fact, to try and recover the real history of action and understand that it often had to do with networks and connections and particular environments and all those historical factors that, that complement whatever it was that shaped a particular individual personality. Mm. I was a bit uh, preoccupied during your talk, which I found absolutely spellbinding. I, I was I was uh, enthralled, really, with your presentation. And, Thank you. and I know that uh, it's coming out in a book, and I want to talk about your book in a moment. Uh, in fact, I went to buy it on Amazon, didn't realize it hasn't been released yet. <laughs> so I was a little frustrated by that. But I did pre-order uh, because I wanted uh, as a resource. Uh, and I drew parallels during your talk with uh, Bonhoeffer's story because, of course, Bonhoeffer had his own small community, uh, in particular uh, the seminary, Finkenwalde, uh, and, and other small groups, even family, uh, that were quietly assisting one another. Um, we spoke yesterday here at the conference in the context of rescuers. Uh, he literally rescued uh, some of his own family members, others as well, but for the most part, he was assisting his seminarians to survive inside the catastrophe of the Third Reich, of the Hitler dictatorship. Uh, and, and this sense of, of course, he wrote about community early on in Sanctorum uh, Communio. So what about community and its existence during the Holocaust, during the dictatorship. Yes. Uh, and I think you find many, many examples of this throughout Germany. Yes, I, I think you're right. I mean, you know, it all, it, 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 it all depends what you're comparing it with. Obviously, if you're thinking about the great mass of the population, what's striking is how few people acted. Mm. Uh, if you start with the assumption that nobody acted, then you're surprised by finding that there are always small numbers of people in uh, all over the place. So it really depends what your starting point is. We're talking about a very small section of the population, but there, but nevertheless, uh, we keep finding new figures. Uh, I think Bonhoeffer uh, uh, exemplifies m uh, many features also of the the group that I'm looking at, although. The group I, I'm talking about was actually hostile to organized religion, but they, they had a deep sense of spirituality, which I think was not dissimilar uh, to some of the intellectual traditions on which Bonhoeffer um, connected. The leader of the group that I was looking at was in a mixed marriage, and Bonhoeffer, of course, has connections. Uh, I, I, I uh, thought the same yeah, as you, so that, and as that you of, gave your talk. And those connections uh, with... Uh, Jews through family connections are often so important in creating a first awareness and empathy and a sense of what's happening to the victims. Um, as you already intimated, I think it's having a, a, an institutional framework, a set of connections and environment um, is key. But at the same time, you know, what Bonhoeffer shows us is that it is certainly the case that within a network or a group, you do need a personality, uh, a figure who can really set their stamp. I mean, so often there is one 
um, one figure. And I think when if I was sort of challenging the, the emphasis on personality a bit, it's not to challenge the idea that there may be a really decisive leadership figure. It's rather that the way in which all the other people who are in a network act then is a little bit different from the model because they're not acting independently. They're acting because of institutional loyalties, because of their links to other members and so on. There's, it's not the motive structure of the person who individually decides I must act. It's somebody who's part of a community who's being guided, who has uh, personal connections to other members of the community uh, and so on. But you do need very often a clear leadership figure and clearly he slowly uh, became became that and and is the is the, is the the figure the martyr uh, whom we celebrate you know uh, as you mentioned that the bund that you look mm -hmm. at uh, mm -hmm. in your work and, and in your book uh, were hostile uh, to uh, organized religion yes one could argue that bunhofer in in Tegel started drifting that direction uh -huh. uh, and, mm -hmm. and calling organized religion into great doubt and mm -hmm. maybe even uh, some, some personal animosity there because of its failing, mm -hmm. uh, because uh, of its co-optation mm -hmm. uh, and, and collaboration, if you will. So it's really interesting crossovers there. And I wonder, had they found each other? Uh, if actually there wouldn't have eventually been uh, some sympathetic uh, cooperation, at least understanding of one another. I'm, I'm sure that there would, because in fact I know that uh, members of my group interacted with church figures who were also involved with courageous anti-Nazi actions, for example, Quaker figures I know that they interacted with. So I think under the duress of the regime, I think the way in which they they had to reevaluate quite a lot, and they certainly came to appreciate figures whose resilience and courage and uh, moral standing they really came to admire, who came from a sort of intellectual or political background that would have been anathema to them before 1933. So I have no doubt uh, that they would have uh, 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 deeply admired uh, what he was doing. Well, I find uh, your introduction of, of this element uh, into the whole equation very interesting, and I think other folks will too. So tell us about the book. So uh, the book um, is called Lives Reclaimed, um, and uh, the idea behind the title is, of course, that this group that I'm looking at did indeed rescue a number of lives, but um, my sense is that um, the way that we've uh, often written about help for Jews has been very retroactive. It's often based on interviews conducted decades after the event, and we're very much shaped now by the way in which rescuers come to be publicly commemorated. And one of the very distinctive things about this group, my Bund, is that they left behind a raft of absolutely remarkable records from the warriors themselves. Diaries, letters, speeches. They were also being surveilled, so there's Gestapo records, which again unusually uh, survive. Uh, and so one of the really striking features about the group, which I 
try to express with this notion of lives reclaimed is that one can pursue what their experience looks like year by year through the Nazi period and then look at the way in which afterwards they tried to commemorate it. And one sees that even for actors themselves, uh, as they come to look back at what they've done in the post-war era, and of course you're trying to make certain kinds of points and claims, the way in which they present themselves is not necessarily the same picture as we would gather looking at what they'd been experiencing during the regime itself. I think the Nazi regime was so distinctive, so hard to capture. Within Germany, you were subject to so many pressures. I mean, not just the regime, but also the public pressure roundabout, that um, it was just a very, very different thing to experience it at the time. And then when the regime had collapsed, to look back at it afterwards. And that is part of what I'm trying to capture in this in this book. It comes out in in August. With, Roughly uh, how many pages? Uh, how many pages is it? I haven't actually seen the uh, the proofs yet. Um, it's not a hugely long book. Good, so I, <laughs> good, good, because really, uh, that, 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 yeah. uh, that says it, it will be a good read, I, it will be an easy read, don't be afraid of it, it's not going to be a 600, 800 page it poem. Is not, it is not. So it's going to be a very lovely treatment. I can't wait to read it after hearing your talk here, and I don't know if they'll let us post your talk. I hope it was recorded and we can post it. Dr. Mark Roseman, Indiana University, uh, distinguished professor, uh, Pat M. Glazer Chair in Jewish Studies, uh, and uh, your talk was Diverse Vantage Points, Rescue and Resistance in History and Memory, a micro-study. It was fascinating. I hope we can post that. Failing that, you've got to get the book. Watch for it on Amazon or wherever you buy uh, your books. Uh, once again, title again. Lives Reclaimed. Lives A story reclaimed. of rescue and resistance in Nazi Germany. Yeah. Uh, highly recommend it, even though I haven't read it yet, but I got a taste of it in, uh, in Professor Roseman's talk. And I know I'm going to benefit from it. I know you will as well. So thank you so thank much you for spending much. the time with us. Thank you. Thank you.